You are listening to Natural Born Alien. Okay, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. Stop, stop, stop. <clears throat> I just want to say, if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Get access to these episodes in advance and go behind the scenes with lots more cool content. Join us on Patreon. Okay, that's all. Uh, on with the show. You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 250 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode I want to focus a bit on insanity and being triggered. Triggered is something that's very popular these days and it seems to me that People aren't as triggered as what the media likes to portray. Because it's usually the media that's triggered. And then a few people who agree with that media. But then most of the normal people (laughs) don't seem to be triggered. So uh, I think that when something becomes triggered, a topic uh, or an action, then... um, I hope, maybe I'm being naive, that most people in society are not triggered. Because if you want to be triggered about something, it should be about, you know, murdering a baby, war, uh, corruption, that kind of thing. But if a comedian makes a joke and you're triggered and you sue that comedian or you see a film and you sue the film company because your feelings were hurt when you're watching the movie... You know, that's to me is ridiculous and I'm not sure if people who are triggered that easily are sane. Because trigger is when someone gets offended or gets their feelings hurt. And um, why is it so bad to get your feelings hurt? I mean, like, what's so wrong about that? I mean, I'm not saying that we should strive for people to get their feelings hurt. But I mean like. If you live your life. And you're watching a movie. And you see something you don't like. And you get you feel offended maybe. Or you feel like. Um, let's say your job is being in, working in an office. And you're watching a film. That takes the piss out of people working in an office. Maybe your feelings are hurt. But when your feelings are hurt. Um. In that kind of context. It's because there's some truth to it. Maybe. Or it's because your ego. um, Is not being. um, Stroked. As much as you would have liked. Uh, You know if I. Watch a film. For instance. And I get triggered. uh, I'm more impressed. You know. I usually actually only get triggered at films that are so bad that I'm wondering why people like those films, you know. (laughs) Maybe I get triggered that way. But, you know, I don't get triggered uh, watching films, I'm just saying. I I have one example. You know, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that I had a daughter that was born dead. And uh, I did watch an episode of Family Guy a while back. 
and they made a joke about dead baby and um, it was the first time I heard because I like dark humor you know I can I think you can joke about anything and I did when that when they made that joke I didn't think it was funny I remembered what happened to me uh, I felt a bit upset but not at there wasn't a single moment in in that event where I felt a need to get angry at Family Guy, uh, felt a need to sue them, or started to dislike Family Guy. Not that I like it that much uh, for other reasons. I prefer South Park, far superior than Family Guy. But anyway, it was just a joke that I didn't find funny, but I could appreciate the joke and maybe people who hadn't lost their baby uh, could think it was funny. I mean, it's just a joke. And one of my favorite characters in the world, fictional characters, a character that I've always felt a deep connection with, is the Joker. I like the Joker. I try to live like the Joker, to be like the Joker. And uh, when I say that, I don't mean... Because when you watch Batman movies and the recent Joker film and uh, uh, the com- read the comics, you know, it's not that I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to do bad things. What I'm saying is I try to live up to that archetype, that uh, way of seeing the world, you know, because the Joker... Because Hollywood, when they make movies, you know, you you want to have some sort of conflict. You want to have a villain. And uh, the Joker is such a villain. And um, so they have to make the Joker want to do bad things. Otherwise, there's no reason for Batman to stop him. But in in, in, in a more real setting, like if I was the Joker... Maybe I would just do things that were not necessarily bad things, just funny things. You know, like, uh, if I, you know, maybe I would rob a bank and then take all the money and just hand it out to people on the street. You know, that'd be funny. Uh, Stuff like that, you know. Um, And uh, the reason the Joker is scary to some people, the reason the Joker is uh, uh, a villain is because the essence of Joker is that he doesn't take our structured systematic society seriously. From the perspective of the Joker, our world, our society is insane. And his world, his reality is sane. The Hungarian-American academic psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Thomas S. Tzass Tzass, uh, once said, If you talk to God, you are praying. If God talks to you, you have schizophrenia. If the dead talk to you, you are a spiritualist. If you talk to the dead, you are a schizophrenic. So insanity and madness is relative in a triggered world. And these days it seems like the far left uh, behaves almost like the far right. Uh, You know, there's been numerous articles and opinions 
about this new Joker film saying it was this or it was that. It was white supremacist, it was toxic, uh, it was incel, all these things. But the funny thing is most of these people hadn't even seen the film and the people who had seen the film, I don't know what film they saw because when I saw that film and I saw it twice in the cinema, I didn't see any of those things that those critics uh, said were in that film. Um, they completely failed to appreciate what that film was and I think it was a great film and I did recognize myself a lot in the Joker character but please understand I have no interest in killing people or becoming a bad person it's like in the dark night where he called himself an agent of chaos When you look at society, the only reason money has value is because everybody agrees it has value. But if everybody agreed it didn't have value, it wouldn't have. And the Joker in that scenario, in that example, he would laugh and make fun of all the people who thought that money had value. Because to him it wouldn't have any value at all. It's like in The Dark Knight where he just... You know, he gets all that, he he robs the mafia or the banks, I can't remember. And he has this pile of money and he, he just burns it because uh, he's not interested in money, you know. I didn't really have a plan during this episode and I'm not really sure what I want to say. I haven't even thought about it, so this is just free flow. But um, people who know me, they know I always like the Joker. Uh, there's something attractive about the Joker. Which makes it also interesting that when you smoke DMT, you meet these kinds of Harley Quinn Joker-esque characters. Which brings to mind the concept of the cosmic giggle, the cosmic joke that maybe it's all one big joke. And a joke, you know, when you say that people think, well, that's a negative, you know. But a joke doesn't have to be negative, you know. If you say something is a joke, it doesn't mean it's bad. It can also mean that you shouldn't take it so seriously. Like uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight said, you know, why so serious? You know, why so serious? Relax, you know. Career, money, your job, politics, who's the president, what did this or that celebrity say? You know, like, who cares? I mean, why take it so seriously? Why be triggered? You know, isn't the most important thing that you're happy? That if you have children, that they are well-fed and warm and have they have a roof over their head? You know, isn't that important? Most important? Is it really important? The... the Do people really need to be upset, so upset that they go out of their way to destroy people's career because they happen to tweet the n-word or something like that? Uh, I'm not saying I think people should be able to say the n-word or nigger because I, you know, when I say the n-word, you know what word I'm using. I'm not defending people who use that word. It uh, all depends on how you use it. Um, And uh, words 
Words are funny. I, I remember I lived in, in the United States uh, long ago. And I, I was playing a video game there and I was swearing a lot. I It was actually Mario Kart. And uh, I was playing the game. And as I was losing the race, you know, I, I went like, oh, god damn, fuck, damn, damn. I, I said damn a few t- times. And the family I lived with, they said, you can't say damn. Because I, I lived in a very Christian part of, of the United States. So they said, uh, you have to say dang. And I went, um, well, if I say dang, but you know I mean damn, what's the difference? It's just one letter difference, but it means the same thing. It's just that dang doesn't offend you, but damn does. It's the same with saying the N-word. Everybody here, they can all hear the real word in their head, but they say N-word, but it means the same thing. So basically, if you call somebody the N-word, it's not as bad as if you actually pronounce the word itself. That's fucked up to me. And I think people should stop being so upset about words. Because um, sticks and stones, you know. But that's the way society is right now. In the West at least. Um, I don't know how it's in Russia or China. Uh, maybe we have too much freedom in the sense that... Uh, having too much freedom... You know, to bring it back to another uh, comic book character, you know, Spider-Man. With uh, great power, you could also say with great freedom comes great responsibility. And even though I know we're not as free as we would like to think, we are more free than most of, of the world if you live in the Western Hemisphere or, you know, in Europe, North America and Australia and that. Um I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I just wanted to think about these things and talk about them. Um, and maybe I've already said things that offended some of you. Maybe I, I already said things that triggered some of you. Everybody who knows me, they know I cannot stand racism. I cannot stand homophobia. I cannot stand injustice. And this might sound strange. Like if you can't stand those things. Then why why do you like the Joker so much? Because you know he's a murderer. He's a psychopath. Well then you didn't really understand what I was saying. Uh, I'm talking about the archetype. The vibe. The attitude. The perspective of the Joker. That's what I like. You know. He's a comic book villain, so of course he's going to do bad things, but I'm not interested in that. I like the vibe of the Joker, where he's coming from. You know, That's what I'm trying to say. And I also actually like the Joker laugh. <laughs> yeah, I laugh when I see people get triggered over things that really is nothing to be triggered about. You know, like a movie, a song or... Some or what some celebrities said, like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? I have a little mix here I want to play. Maybe it can say it better than I can. So it's about five minutes. Enjoy. 
I've been having life-changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. There's a condition in combat, most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum, can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables. Shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago. Then a whole generation went by, and the Second World War came along, and we, the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue. Four syllables now. Takes a little longer to say. Doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock. Shell shock. Battle fatigue. <laughs> then we had the war in Korea, 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time. And the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. <laughs> hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase. It's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. Then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen. And the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a different group to get pissed off at you in this country for everything you're not supposed to say. Can't say fruit, can't say faggot, can't say queer, can't say Nancy boy, can't say pansy. Can't say nigger, boogie, jig, jigaboo, skinhead, jungle bunny, mooly, moulinyan, or schwarzer. Can't say yid, heeb, zeeb, kike, maki, uh, dago, guinea, wop, ginzo, greaser, greaseball, spick, beaner, oye, tiger, pr, mick, Donkey, turkey, limey, frog, squarehead, kraut, jerry, hun, chink, jap, nip, slope, slopehead, zip, zipperhead, gook. There is absolutely nothing wrong with any of those words in and of themselves. They're only words. It's the context that counts. It's the user. It's the intention behind the words that makes them good or bad. The words are completely neutral. The words are innocent. Suck our turds, cause it's PC for me! And you! Woo-woo! Yeah! yeah.
I'll tell another joke, Murray. No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross I think a mentally ill loader with it. a society that abandons him and treats him like trash, I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve. What you heard was J.P. Sears, George Carlin, South Park and Joker from the very recent Joker film. I now want to play a 20 minute bit from a talk by Terence McKenna regarding insanity, madness and psychedelics. And um, I've talked about madness and insanity in regards to psychedelics before. And I wish I had heard this bit back then because I would have played it back then. And considering what I've been talking about, um, it fits the theme a bit because uh, it deals with insanity in some way. And in this talk, Terence mentions someone called Dick. And he refers to the great author Philip K. Dick, who wrote some of his best books due to some sort of episode of madness that he suffered in life. Although madness and sanity, it's all relative. And it's all depending on your perspective. But here's Terence McKenna. What I'm always afraid of is that I'll be ostracized, except that it'll be entirely deserved. In other words, that going off the deep end into some kind of appropriate behavior, the word that I would use over and over again is disgrace, that it would disgrace everything. And as I've and it's gotten weird for me because uh, there used to be nothing to disgrace because there was no reputation now I'm always aware that you know if I go bananas then people will say you know what happened to that guy you know you think this is good you, you read these books did you hear how this guy ended up uh, <laughs> So then it's all ruined. It's like they're saying about Woody Allen, his entire work must now be reassessed. And you think, oh God, what if that were me? You know, <laughs> your entire work needs to be reassessed. Um, and it's interesting to think about madness, or what we're calling madness. I mean, I've also, the religious thing is the one that overcomes me or overcame me that's how I imagine I would go and even as it is I'm practically a repent the end is nigh person I mean it's all couched and we have the computer and the mathematics and the dazzling uh, you know uh, rhetoric but it's basically a the end is nigh uh, rap of some sort and yet I I'm very intolerant intellectually i mean there are, there are perfectly harmless functioning people that i in my own mind consider crazy simply because of what they believe i mean you know one way of thinking about crazy is it's just you have looser rules of evidence than the rest of us so uh and in a society falling to pieces like ours, where nobody has a very firm grip on what's going on, 
you know, if you're nuts, but you're not sure you're nuts, you just have to get ten people to believe you, and suddenly you're a method, a school, a point of view. You're not nuts anymore. You're invited to teach your insanity and show others the way. Um, but I think there's an unmistakable threshold that when... I think people who are... Um, insane in the way that you're concerned about and that I'm concerned about, know it. It's not something... And I think Dick was the great exemplar in this area. I mean, he was nuts and he knew it. And he managed it and worked with it and got juice out of it and was sometimes overwhelmed by it. Um, Because it's a feeling, don't you think? That it's a... It transcends intellectualizing. One can believe all kinds of odd things, but there's a certain existential intensity that overcomes you, and then you are crazy or insane because you. It's it's almost like um, with psychedelics or practices that are very powerful, you do begin to rise through some kind of spiritual domain. But if you're unbalanced slightly to one side or the other, you'll start to skew and it'll get worse and worse and it will feed back negatively into your life. And, uh, you know, insanity is a kind of like a divine madness of some sort. I mean, it's a... It's not clear what it is exactly. I mean, I think people really do touch extraordinary states. I'm not a psychotherapist, so I haven't seen like hundreds of people who were diagnosed as mad. But these people who go off the deep end with religious ideas and so forth, it seems to me there's more going on than a disintegrating psychology because it's always accompanied by events in the real world which reinforce the crazy assumption. It's like, from the point of view of the person who is undergoing this, there's ample evidence, always at hand, that they're not crazy, that this is really happening. I remember when I was at my most uh, unreclaimable You know, one of the things I would do, it was in the Amazon, and very fortunately, because modern mental health care delivery systems couldn't reach me, and so I survived it, but otherwise I doubt that I would have, because when they drug you and interrupt these cycles of whatever this is, then it's very hard to ever get straight again. But the form that my madness would take, I mean, on one level, was I would go into, I would go alone into the jungle and um, I could call butterflies to me, which was a strange thing because I had earlier made my living as a butterfly collector. And so I would just, like St. Francis, I would go out and hold up my hands and the butterflies would come and descend like an, and walk on my hands. And I would... Oh, oh, yes, no, this happened. I mean, nobody was there but me, but... 
And, you know, we can even create an explanation that I was able to generate an odor or something that brought him in. But so then I would have like an epiphany. It would prove to me my divine nature and the, my divine mission and so forth and so on. And so then I would sink to my knees, the butterflies surrounding me, and weep with ecstasy that I had been granted this sign and you know then weep a little more and but then the mind would begin to wander and then i would think about how but but nobody else is uh, is getting the benefit of this miracle and so then i would dry my tears and go look for somebody to show this to and then i would take these people who were by now fairly concerned about my state of mind anyway and i would go insist that they walk with me into the jungle and then I would hold out my arms to the skies expecting butterflies to descend and envelop me and of course nothing would happen and then people would just turn away you know aghast at such a display of hubris ego fucked up uh, delusory just that you'd lost it you know you would become unbearable, egomaniacal. And then you say, but no, listen, it's really true. And then it's even more pathetic. And so there are, you know, cycles of distancing that go on. You know, with psychedelics, um, the practice works too well, almost, in that it, it will... If you insist on, I don't want to use the word abusing it, but if you insist on using psychedelics frequently at high doses, back to back, you will unlock your way into a, into a, a set of assumptions and perceptions and feelings that not very many people can follow you into. And then the question is, uh, you know, have you gone into a spiritual domain or have you just fallen off the track? And it's hard to tell, and maybe it can happen both ways. It's so hard to convey the mind of the schizophrenic. I mean, people who we call crazy do not seem to themselves to be crazy. They look at the world through a, from a different perspective and through a different logic, but they're trying to make sense of it. It's just that the data that they're trying to handle is extremely uh, alien from what the rest of us use. I mean, I can remember when I was in these states that I would, I would um, it's so hard to explain, but I would like see waves of historical association out of my past. I mean, it's like I would be in a small town in Colombia, but something would... It would be as though there was another time, a time from my past, overlaid over everything. And so a waitress serving me in a restaurant, a hotel keeper, would also be... Another person in another time in another place with a set of associations to me, and I f had a friend actually who was became schizophrenic and did get electroshock and the whole nine yards. And he said, "You know what you have to do, what you must do, is learn to shut up 
you know do not run around and it's all and it's a it, there's a compulsion to confess as well this is not easy because there's something about these perceptions that have to be communicated and yet when you communicate them you know people are appalled they do not know how to handle it i remember when my brother did what he called turning inside out and you know he didn't know whether he was agnes or angus and there was some intimation of some psychosexual transformation it wasn't clear whether it was like a transsexual operation or the metamorphosis of an insect or something else and you know he's saying this i mean i suppose we can multiply these examples endlessly in thinking about this talk uh for me personally what it comes down to is somehow and i don't know the how but the issue is clear i think it's an issue of of courage and of failure of nerve you have to um you have to be willing to put yourself on the line and it's all tied into what we always talk about in these circles which is the ego and how the ego's final defense against its own dissolution is telling you that you're either going mad or dying and in the psychedelics you know you can usually defeat the dying rap because you just have to have the faith that you're not dying on 15 mg of psilocybin it's highly unlikely not impossible but you can argue that it's unlikely but but when it tells you you're going mad you have nothing to stand on because you can't tell who knows i mean what is the effective dose of psilocybin for triggering madness the question doesn't even exist back in the world you left behind and the only way i you know shakespeare says screw your courage to the sticking point the only way i found to deal with this is the rough personally speaking the absolutely rough straight ahead way which is after putting it off and putting it off and putting it off i finally just say well oh, fuck it you know do it you know if that's what you want to do if you want to destroy me do it but it require you know it's a kind of recklessness i can't find a calm place in which to meet it i can only meet it if i force myself to assume that it's going to uh leave me high and dry i remember um a, a psychotherapist who i don't want to name but who used psychedelics very extensively for years and years and turned on hundreds of people and with combinations and all kinds of stuff toward the end of his life he 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 it grew harder and harder and harder for him to take it and when i asked him why he said um i always have bad trips and we talked about it whether that that it was you know um that just a lifetime of tripping other people had done this or whether maybe as you pass a certain age it doesn't do the same thing it becomes darker and darker 
or whether it was something in his personality. I really resist the idea that you could ever get to the place where you say, as some people love to say, psychedelics, I took them, don't need them anymore, learned what it has to offer. But uh, one reason, I mean, I, one excuse that I use in my own inner rhetoric is that, you know, sitting here in this moment, I can really strongly imagine what it's like to be stoned on any one of these things. It doesn't feel remote to me anymore. And I don't know whether that's a delusion and an excuse for not doing it or whether my thresholds are getting uh, getting lower. I don't know. I was in London a few weeks ago and at a party and I was the guest of honor and they brought out last year's Welch mushrooms and made a big tea for everybody and the hostess said, you know, it's... It's just, it's just almost like a gesture. I mean, there are so many of us and so few mushrooms, but we'll each just get a little bit. Well, so I was first out of the chute. And, uh, you know, I was... Uh, I don't know whether it all pooled on the top in one place or what was going on, but, you know, I just sat down on the ground and this guy who said some person of great reputation who said he'd wanted to meet me for years and years was sitting in front of me trying to get to know me and and finally he just said he said you're flaming aren't you and I said yes I can't carry on this conversation I just have to hold on to the grass well I don't know uh, what all this means I don't want to become afraid of it and I blame myself. I don't think the thing has a negative edge unless you've somehow come out of jiggle with it. And I don't know whether that means, you know, what does it mean if it becomes harder and harder to take these things? Does it mean you're getting out of balance? Does it mean you're just getting older? Where should the blame be put? And then what can you do about it? The only thing I found to do about it is stop running and turn and face it. But each time I do that, it seems to require the very limit of my courage. And I don't know how long one's courage lasts. I, maybe it's not a bad thing. I mean, after all, people who climb mountains like Mount Everest, they don't do it till their dying day. At some point, they, you know, knock off and become a consultant for a sportswear manufacturer or something. This Terence McKenna talk was lifted from the Psychedelic Salon. Next week, my guest will be none other than... Uh, what the fuck was his name? <laughs> Uh, I don't have a script. I don't have anything right now. So I can't even remember. What the hell is his name? Jesus Christ. Uh, oh. <laughs> Daniel Pinchbeck is our guest next week. <laughs> and we will be talking about many different things. Uh, so uh, stick around. Well not for the whole week. But come back next week. and uh, Or if you're listening in the future. You can just listen to it right after this. Uh, but Daniel Pinchbeck will be on the podcast. 
And if you don't know who that is, well, you're going to have to listen to the next episode to find out. Also, if you haven't seen Joker, go see it. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. I want to close with the song Smile by Charlie Chaplin. Don't lose your sanity in this insane world. Put on a happy face and a happy smile. See you in a week. Freedom is in the mind. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you smile through your fear and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow, you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness Although a tear May be ever so near That's the time you must keep on trying Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile If you'll just Still worthwhile if you just smile.